verses 21 to 40, and you can find it on 1027 in the Bible. Luke chapter 2, commencing at verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you have promised, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was widowed until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Could you just keep that open because that's, that's going to be really helpful to do that. And I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for its richness, that it's living as you are, and 
it, it shares with us the things you want us to know and reflect on and live by. So we pray that you would open it up to us again this morning as we continue our series on Luke. Uh, and as we look at these two elderly, um, faithful brothers and sisters, uh, we pray that you might stir our hearts as we move into the new year to, um, to keep following and to keep trusting and to keep hoping for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, Christians are people of hope. Faith and hope, those two words, it's really hard to sort of sever those two, isn't it? They're so connected with each other. That uh, verse, um, Matt, Matt stole my thunder a bit because I was just looking for that when he read it out. Uh, I thought it was a great way to start. Um, faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. Um, this is what the ancients were commended for. And what, maybe we could say a couple of the ancients, ancients are Simeon and Anna. Not too ancient, but fairly ancient. Everyone is looking or hoping for something, aren't they, as we come to the conclusion of this year and, and move into uh, what's going to be um, a whole new decade uh, um, facing us in the future. So what are the hopes you're taking forward into 2020? I mean, the ones that you maybe wouldn't talk to people about, but you long for inside, you know, the, the deep ones. Can you ever guarantee that the things that you are really hoping for will definitely eventuate? For instance, um, we know that there's a lot of hoping at the moment that it's going to rain. Uh, it would help so much, wouldn't it? Those who've, uh, we've got, what, 850 families uh, having to live somewhere else uh, at the moment because their homes are gone. Um, we've got, um, what, eight people whose families are grieving their loss as a result of the fires and the drought. Many more as a result of the drought. Um, what's, what's lying in their hearts? What are they hoping for? Um, maybe... Maybe you're hoping that your new baby will make things better in your marriage. Maybe you feel your, your marriage has been a little bit shaky this year and you really hope this, this new little bundle will draw you more closely together again. Maybe you're hoping that as a family uh, you'll address the stress between you and your children um, or other family members. Uh, wouldn't it be wonderful... Um, and couldn't we rejoice greatly to be reconciled with family and friends we've been alienated from? It, it doesn't take long for uh, a share a discussion about family to realise there's almost always somebody in a family that's alienated from somebody else. Maybe it's that our health or the health of somebody we really love uh, will improve this year. Maybe it's that um, we sense we need a new life direction and we, we would have it clarified. That would be a great calling of our hope. Maybe we are in a new, whole new set of circumstances and, and we want to adjust to them. Whatever is your hope, we have so many hopes uh, really competing in our minds. It's like um, I had to go take a trailer and, and pick up something the other day and I needed some ropes and I knew there was a couple of ropes that would just be ideal for, for um, fixing this thing on the trailer. So I got my, my ropes and I, I dumped them out and there there was an incredible tangle of all these ropes on the ground. 
And so I had to untangle each one, and there, right in the middle, of course, was the one I wanted. <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? Our hopes can be all entangled and entwined into each other, but at the centre, there's, there's the great living hope that affects and directs and characterises all our other hopes. And now that the razzmatazz of Christmas is over, what is it that establishes and consolidates genuine hope for you? Can I just say at the very beginning, one thing we know that is true, and that is that God knows what your hopes are. Nobody else might know, apart from you, but he does. And in the passage today, through Simeon and less so in Anna, but particularly through Simeon, he's teaching us which hopes are the really important ones. So let's go to the temple. This is just an ordinary and traditional ceremony that they've, they've taken Jesus to. Uh, a little baby boy, Jewish baby boy, when he turns eight, he'd get taken to the temple. He'd be circumcised. That was part of the Jewish um, religion. Uh, John's parents had done it recently, if you remember, from our reading uh, leading up to this part. Um, it was a, a visible sign of membership of the covenant agreement with God. And, and as such, it was really important uh, that males be uh, circumcised this way. It was a significant part of the Jewish religion. So that's what they were there for. But what makes this ordinary visit an extraordinary visit is the two surprise visitors that join them and the things they have to say. Firstly, Simeon, and then Anna. We're told that both of these two live amongst people who have a great hope, and that great hope is that, that God will put, to, put right what is not right about this world. They had a longing. They talked to, both of them are prophets, sharing the words of God. A Simeon is described as looking forward to Israel's consolation, and Anna is described as looking forward to Israel's redemption. So you get the impression that consolation, redemption, basically the same thing. Um, different descriptions of the same longing. And can I say, please don't think of Simeon as it might be an automatic move. Don't think of him as a sort of a, a cuddly old man, <laughs> um, a little naive and a bit simple, needing religion as a crutch and a support. You know, that sort of picture that people will um, sometimes conjure up uh, when you look at a, a figure like this. He lived directly under Roman rule, which for the Jews was hard. It was hard. Because the Romans frustrated uh, their religious uh, principles and did things that they hated them for. He knew the frustration of not being able to humanly change anything for the better. So the trust in God and the hope that God would change things here is so confident because uh, it's been, they've been forged under really hard times. And it's through, uh, as Paul says in uh, Romans, that um, that process of difficult time leads, times lead to the development of character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. He, his hope had been built up over a period of time as he had met circumstances and applied his faith and God had changed him and shaped his thinking and pointed him in the direction that was going to really help him. So they were based on the promises of God and, and Simeon knew them really well. And particularly that promise that God was going to send a special person to put right the world that wasn't right. 
And he'd reached the conclusion that, that unless God acted, nothing would change for the better. That's true, isn't it? Unless God acts, nothing will change for the better. What do we do? We basically repeat history, don't we? We, we think we've learned from history and then we go and do it all over again. <laughs> Does anything change? You know, some things change for the better, but they're not maybe the things that are going to be um, keeping, keeping us um, strong and, and, uh, and able. So for Simeon and for you and for me, the finalising of our deepest hope rests in what God can do, not in what you can do. There's lots of hopes that you feel in control of and some of those are great hopes and important hopes in your life but in the end um, it's what God can do. He knows that this child, God is pl- with this child God is playing his master hand. This is the great stroke of God uh, in sending this child and God had said to him through his Holy Spirit, you will live Simeon to see the fulfilment of my promises to you. And now he's been directed to the temple at just the right time. Significant, isn't it? Just the right time to see Jesus with his own eyes and know the fulfilment of his greatest hope. And so that's why he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. And you just imagine the joy that must have fluttered through this man as he realised that um, uh, what he'd been longing for for such a long time, he was actually seeing with his own eyes uh, on this occasion. So we might ask... Um, on what basis can we, like Simeon, talk about our deepest hope being guaranteed? If Christians are people of hope, do we have a guarantee for that hope? What, what makes it a guarantee in this sort of context? I want to suggest two things to you. Firstly, guaranteed because it's based on God's promise and God promised to give us the very best. We know promises are easy to make. Promises are much harder to keep. And the one Simeon was driven by was God's promise to send his chosen person, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, so that he could finally and completely deal with the factors that were alienating people from God, so that people could be drawn back into a relationship with him. Remember the old promises, like in Isaiah 9? If you read your little um, uh, bookmark, you would have read this one. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Imagine how a figure like that, who we know who it is now, of course, could change the world and is changing the world. And then the promises like that were renewed when Zechariah uh, spoke his prophecy. Do you remember in Luke 1? Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouths of his holy prophets in ancient times. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's what God had promised. And with this baby, that's what he was now delivering. Do you agree with me that the basis on whether we accept a promise made or not 
and see it as viable very much depends on the person who makes the promise. Do you agree with me? It's true, isn't it? Simeon was absolutely confident about this promise because God himself had made it. And God has a perfect track record. If, you, if you're looking into the Christian faith at the moment and you haven't yet come to that point of personally turning and, uh, to Christ, then just consider this. God has a perfect track record when he makes promises. That's promises to us, promises to whoever was listening to those promises. I want to encourage you strongly today, don't disallow yourself from a share in the greatest thing that God has ever done for you by not taking his promises seriously on this issue. Jesus may not be prominent on the who's who list in our community, but he's absolutely prominent on God's who's who list. If you or I disregard God's promise here, what we're also doing is disregarding his promised one, Jesus Christ. And as long as we do that, we stand outside of the only hope that is guaranteed to us. Worse, we continue to stand out, outside under the judgment of God and therefore with no one to speak up on our behalf. Because the one who speaks on our behalf is the Lord Jesus Christ. Simeon is so confident that this child is a fulfilment of the promise and that by faith he's included in God's future through Jesus that he can say to God, okay, now I'm ready to die in peace. I've seen uh, the miracle and now I'm ready to go. That's the first reason, because God makes a promise and he always keeps his promise and the promise is always the very best. The second reason is this. This child, if you like, is proof positive of uh, God's promise and God's intention and our inclusion by faith. I don't know whether you remember, but some time back there was this really heartbreaking case of two families who discovered after several years that they had been bringing up each other's child because there'd been a, a, you know, a mistake at the hospital at birth, a mix-up. And after looking at it and meeting together and talking it through, they decided they'd just continue the way they had been for the last two years. It must have been a, 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 an awful trauma involved in that decision. Just imagine. But we can say here that God leaves us in no doubt about the identity of this child. Here is Simeon looking at him with his own eyes, seeing God's miracle in front of him, not only looking at him with his own eyes, but he actually can pick him up and hold him, to hold the promise of God in his very arms. How good is God to those who trust him? The name given to this child was Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Simeon, together with Anna, who came in, after him can be seen and Luke means us to see this can be seen as the two witnesses required to prove the, the, the claim um, that, that this baby is God's answer to the world's um, problem. Deuteronomy 19 says a fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Simeon is one, Anna is the other. 
effectively the two witnesses coming together to establish this fact. And then the Holy Spirit brings these two into the temple to see the child just in the right place and just at the right time. And we're meant to understand that Simeon and Anna's testimony to Jesus on this occasion is in fact God's testimony to his own son. Luke is assuring us by giving us this proof positive that the hope that lies in Jesus is a guaranteed hope to those who trust him and trust his promises. Now, sometimes in the community, uh, we see people uh, become prominent whose lives profoundly affect the lives of people around them. If I asked you, you'd probably all have somebody who you, you saw that way. Uh, they just have this effect on people and people testify to the way they've ch helped change their lives. Can I say to you that this child, more so than any other, and if we ask how, um, Simeon tells us. Firstly, this child will provoke response to his identity, he says. This child grown, of course, he'd be the centrepiece of God's plan um, to put people right with him again. And that means that since God's plan and its scope covers everybody, then every life lived is touched by his life and ministry. Your life is, my life is, and he's made it clear that therefore neutrality is impossible in a person's response to Jesus. Um, he said this to Mary and to Joseph in the temple. Oh, this is Luke's record of it. His mother and father were amazed at what was being said about him. Not that this was necessary new material, but it was being spoken by a stranger who they just met. Exactly what the angels had said. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now that's, that was sort of a different line to what initially was said, isn't it? This is, this is a more sobering line in the sense that it's saying this child will divide on the basis of people's response. Our generation's in a much better position to, um, to see this truth than Simeon was, to see the full force of what's being claimed about Jesus. We, we, we possess a full account of his life and ministry. We just have to go to, to the scriptures and open it any time we want to. We look back to the momentous events of his death and his resurrection so that you and I, we are either convinced by the truth about him or we reject him as the way into the presence of God. Simeon understood from God that some will fall under God's judgment because they will reject him. Others will accept the truth about him and will trust Jesus as their hope and they'll share the salvation that he came to bring. The sobering reality put to you and I today is that while we're sitting here this morning, in Jesus' eyes, we've already made that choice. He who is not clearly for me is against me. They're the very words that Jesus spoke. Not locked in forever, of course, if you are not trusting Jesus at the moment. 
but of course mentioned again because the, the, the wonder and the beauty and the magnificence of turning and, and coming to know Jesus is something which those who already know him would want you to do as well. So he expects us to reassess our lives and to put him first in everything. That's a cost to us. Because there's that inevitable battle between what we've always wanted and now this whole new thing has happened in our lives and Jesus wants something different at many points. (laughs) We battle. We know that's true, doesn't it? It it means for us being open to ongoing change. Do you remember that promiscuous woman, the Samaritan woman, who just couldn't find relationships and her happiness? So happiness in her relationships? She's as confused as I was. Remember she tried, she'd been, she'd had five husbands, tried to find happiness each time and it just didn't work. And she's confronted by Jesus. She assesses what he has to say. She realises the truth of what he had to say. She puts her faith and her hope in him and she finds a new life in Jesus. So did Nicodemus, the priest who came to him at night. Remember him? He found a new hope in Jesus. The blind man from birth who had his, hope, his sight restored bit by bit, he found new hope in Jesus. And each one came to know him as the fulfiller of God's promises. And it's true. Every day, thousands more, not in Australia, unfortunately, but across the world, thousands more turn to follow Jesus and rejoice with Simeon that they have found true hope in that man, in God's man. Now, our personal hopes, they're important. Please don't hear me decrying our personal hopes at any point. But we know that some will be fulfilled and some will not be fulfilled. But what, was, what, what Luke is saying here is don't let the lesser hopes of this world hide the great gift of hope that God holds out to us in the Lord Jesus. Like, like the, the, the ties I was trying to unravel and get to the one in the middle, it's the one in the middle, the central one, that gives purpose and meaning and understanding and, and allows us to assess and evaluate all our other hopes. The cost of following Jesus first is absolutely worth it. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this. This child will triumph, but he'll triumph at great cost. Um, if, if there's no question that, that, that God will put men and women right with him through Jesus, it's also clear, both from what Simon has to say here, uh, Simeon has to say here, and also the events that ensured that it was going to happen at great cost. And I wonder if you've ever wondered how often Mary thought about what Simeon's words meant. Uh, when he spoke them, because they were pretty direct, weren't they? We know that only through her son's death could our sin be dealt with completely and forever. Mary didn't know that at that point, the detail. But she would watch her son die in great agony on the cross. She would also see him alive again. There was great cost for Jesus. Can I ask you these two things? What level of love and commitment to you must Jesus have to be prepared to pay such a heavy personal cost so that he would triumph as your saviour? And secondly, if he has sacrificed so much and, and since he has been raised again, 
How will he respond to me if by rejecting his death and refusing his hope, I effectively tell him, it, that doesn't matter. What matters is the hopes that I'm going to stay with that I can build for myself. Simeon and Anna, Anna as well, they had waited a long time to see God's plans hatched. And God didn't let them down. And their greatest hopes became reality for them. And for us, in a few days, we're going to move into a brand new decade. Um, you might have made some plans, but basically we don't know what the new decade holds for us, what it might contain. As we move into the new decade, have you unravelled all the hopes that are being offered to you to find the one that's most important, the one in the middle? Have you grabbed hold of God's gift of living hope and are you standing strong with the one who is absolutely trustworthy and can guarantee its fulfilment for you? If you haven't, this is a really excellent time to do it. Do it today. Some of our earthly hopes are very important, but in the end they are earthbound. They may be self-centred. They are temporary. They are ultimately inadequate on their own. On their own, they will disappoint us in the end. But not the living hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. He takes responsibility for that hope and he deepens it and he develops it in us as we trust him with our lives. So our hope grows and becomes stronger and more, and more vibrant. So can I just say, let that hope that belongs to you as those who know and love the Lord Jesus. Let that hope lift you into the new year and let it give you a firm foundation on which to live it out and not just live it out, but to live it out well. And let's just remember with Paul from Romans 5, we have seen God's salvation now, so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and this hope does not disappoint us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've established this hope yourself and then given us the opportunity to share in it through the Lord Jesus. May it be central, strong and vibrant as we move into 2020. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.